Welcome to Nairobi Chapel and Bakasi. We grow deep to reach wide. He asked me to share today and to to preach. I I was like, okay, what what do you think the church needs to hear uh, when you're celebrating your second anniversary? Is there anything that you'd like me to handle from the scriptures? And he was like, you preach whatever God puts in your heart. Now that, you know, it's, it's easier for those of you who share God's word, whether it's in a public context like this or small Bible studies, it's always easier when someone gives you, you know, a bull's eye to shoot at than for you to select a target for yourself. And so, but I'm happy that, that he gave me that freedom because I had been thinking about various things and it just so happened that one of the things that has been weighing on my heart during the past two or three months or so became something that I felt was relevant to this time when you're seeking to celebrate and thank God for two years of this church plant. Um, and I think it would be something that is essential for the future of this church if you are to hear what God says through his word about this particular subject. And so before I say what that subject is, um, I think even for the benefit of Akinazara in the room, there's, this, there's an uncle of mine who lives in Rongai. Now, I don't know if many of you guys have, or if all of you guys have been to Rongai, but you, know, it's, it's another, you need a visa to get there. It's so far away. It's another culture. There's culture shock when you arrive. It's just another, it's just another place entirely. Now, my uncle decided that he, the, place, the only place he could find that was affordable to buy a piece of land and build a house for his family was in Rongai. Because, you know, you ask somewhere in Kilimani for a quarter, an acre, and someone tells you 100 million. It doesn't make sense. So he bought a piece of land, and he decided this is where I'll settle my family. I wake up early anyways, so I can wake up at 4 a.m. By 5, I'm out of the house. There's no traffic. It's how I live anyways, so it's fine. I'll go live over there. So when you're building a house, it's quite the process. You dig the foundation, and it's, you, know, you go through the motions, you, you, you set the fence around, and it was wilderness. It's out there. For those of you who've been around that area, you actually know it borders a national park. <laughs> so what happened was, what happened was, there's a lot of these Mjengo guys that, you know, especially when Munakoroga Simiti to lay the foundation, there's a lot of guys there who are just hand workers that were there to help in the building of the house. Now, there was an individual amongst them who, just in case they are a relative of yours, let's call him Mutinda. So Mutinda was, was a guy who was part of that entire group. And you know, at that time, there's no toilet you don't, like, it's, it's the wilderness, right? Just find a bush or something. So this guy felt uh, he needed to, to go for a short call. So, as usual, you just walk away where no one will see you, do your thing, come back. So the guy went, and as he was just about to begin his business, he looked down over some rocks because it was a little elevated and then, you know, the way soil erosion creates little ridges and whatnot. He looks down 
and he sees a sleeping lioness. Like, you're there, <laughs> just about to begin, and there's a lioness down there. Now, it's, it's more interesting when you hear what happened from the perspective of the other guys who, who are left doing the work. The way they describe the situation is that Mutinda was crawling. Like they, they just saw this guy, he had peed on himself. He, he, he was literally on his belly creeping towards them. Simba! Simba! So, you know, here's the interesting thing. The lion was asleep. And for some reason, it didn't even wake up. Like he was, he was so scared, the strength went out of him, he peed on himself, he was on the ground, he was, you can't run away, but he saw this lioness, and this is a true story by the way, this is not, this actually happened. Why was he scared? Why was he afraid? It's a, but it's asleep. <laughs> In fact, it, it was not even the fullness of a lion. It was a lioness. <laughs> what? Um, the lionesses are the ones that actually do the hunting, eh? <laughs> now, try to think of it this way. What if Mutinda was a blind man? And somehow he just tapped his things, tapped, tapped, went, ah, here there's a hole somewhere here. Let me do my business. Would, would the blind man feel the fear that Mutinda felt? No. So why was Mutinda afraid? Why are you repeating the same things? That is a lioness. But wait, even when the, bl when the blind man is there, it's still a lioness. So what's the difference? Okay, so what? Is, is it the sight that produces the fear? Why is the fear necessary? Why does fear exist? You see, the thing is, whether you are blind or whether you have sight, the danger is real. And I think this is why the, even though it was asleep, you know how sometimes you, know, you go to a cliff or you go for a photo shoot somewhere on top of a high building and you stand at the very edge, What's that feeling you fear when you're like, I mean, you feel when you're 15, 20 stories up? Why is it that you feel scared? Is that if the wind blew just a little bit, you, can, you would die. It's the danger is real. And therefore, the fear exists to make you aware of the danger and to keep you from the danger. Now, fear is something that we don't hear about in church almost at all. We, we have been taught so much about the love of God and how much we are to love God. We forget that if you were just to open a Bible online and search for the word fear or the phrase fear God, it is everywhere, from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And yet, all we ever hear about is love God. 
When was the last time you heard a sermon about having to fear God, who is Jesus? He is the lion of Judah. There's nothing more scary than a lion that's also a lamb at the same time. Fear God. And if you say, ah, Jesus, Jesus said we are not supposed to fear, and yet he actually said, do not fear those who can kill the body and after that do nothing, but fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. So why is it that we don't hear about fear much? Why is it that many times we even are in the presence of God, whether in private prayer or in public like this, and yet, the fear of God sometimes is not the thing that is foremost in our minds. It's almost like us collectively deciding to go pee on the lion. Is not God more fearsome, more glorious than the lion he created? Is he not worthy of reverence more than the greatest beast you can ever face? Why is it that we don't hear about the fear of God? And, and this is why I think it's important for this church. I mean, we're celebrating, we're celebrating two years. It's a joy to me that this church exists. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It is churches like this that are going to push back the darkness that is coming upon us. It's churches like these that are going to save marriages. It's churches like these that are going to raise men and women, boys and girls who will grow up to stand up and say, I will not deny Christ. God is God. It's churches like these that are going to do that. And yet, if the fear of God is not in our hearts and in our midst, what are we trying to achieve? You know, an interesting verse is in the book of Acts. You all know the book of Acts to be the early church. It's the template for how the gospel spread. And this is not the main passage. The main passage is actually unusual. It's one that even the children know about, Psalm 139. And I'll look into that, into that really quickly. But if I just point out, and you don't even have to turn there, I'll just read it and you'll hear it. In Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 9 and verse 31. It says this, And so the church throughout all Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord, not in the love of the Lord, not in the joy of the Lord, of the Lord, even though all those things are necessary and they are in Scripture. It specifically says, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. If you want this church to multiply, do not overemphasize the comfort of the Holy Spirit with, without the fear of God being very real and very present in this church. If you want it to multiply and you take Acts to be the template, then have the fear of God. So now let me look at this one passage. It's at the center of the Bible somewhat. 
Um, it's a verse and a series of verses that you've heard over and over again. But let me just cast some light into it. And hopefully you will see it in a different light. And hopefully God will put the fear of him in you because it is necessary. Psalm 139, the famous, famous psalm. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. We're going to get to the famous verse, I am wonderfully and fearfully made. And sometimes people joke and say, yeah, I, that individual is more fearfully than wonderfully made, you know, when you don't like someone. And, and I, I, don't think, I don't think sometimes we actually understand what's going on in this psalm. David is thinking about God. And he's saying that you know when I sit down and when I rise up. You search out my path. You discern my thoughts from afar. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. And so he's saying, O God, you are omniscient. You know everything. Even before I speak, you know what I was about to say. Whether I lie down, whether I'm asleep, whether I'm awake, you surround me. You hem me in. Do you know, can you imagine, can you imagine what it's like? Just think, think of COVID, for example, and how it hit, and how so many older people were dying. Think about all the people that have lost jobs. Think about all the people that have been sick. All of those things happening all together. Imagine how many prayers are going towards God every single time. And this statement is true, not just of David, but every one of us in this room. What kind of God would have, you know, in com I'm a computer scientist by training. Kitambo, the computers used to be, we call them single processors. They could only do one thing at a time. If you're opening Word, you open Word. If you want to do something else, you stop Word, you do something else, you come back. It was single processor. Now we have multi-processors, quad cores, and all of those things where multiple things can be happening at the same time, and the computer is able to keep all of those things active. When you're downloading a song, and you're listening to another song, and you're editing an image in Photoshop, none of those things have to wait for the other. They're all happening at the same time. How crazy is the mind of God that he is able to not just keep everything happening, but he's listening to every single prayer of his people and he knows the words of your mouth every single time before they happen. How amazing is that God? And then you lose a loved one to COVID and you have the audacity to be angry at that God, who do you think you are at that God? 
You can't even text and drive at the same time. You'll die. And he's keeping, he's making, I mean, photosynthesis is happening outside of here, right in front of us. Just for me to stand here and be speaking to you, there's multiple things that are happening. The muscular system is, is holding me up. The bones are the structure. The nervous system is doing all that it's doing. And God is in control of all of that. That's what he means when he says that knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's not wonderful like this is wonderful. No, it's that I, I, I am full of wonder. It is too wonderful for me. I can't attain it. That's the God we pray to. That's the God we worship. And that's the God we dare sin against as if we know what's best for us. God is omniscient. Now the second thing I want you to see, there's three things. One, that God is omniscient. Two, is that God is omnipresent. So he says in verse 7, Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? You see, when you start to really think of how amazing and how unthinkable that God is, one of the reactions as a sinful human being is, where can I go from your presence? Because you are too holy for me. You are too powerful for me. You are too perfect for me. And I'm not perfect. I want to shrink from you. You know, sometimes we say, Lord, let your presence come here. My, if God were to show up here now, in the fullness of his glory, we would all be on our faces. We would wish, and it says this, we would wish the ground would open up and swallow us because we can't bear to be in the light of his glory. That's who he is. When you begin to see him for who he really is, it's not automatic that you want to go closer to him. The Israelites, when God spoke to them the first time on the mountain, you remember their reaction? They were like, Moses, you talk to God? What he says, you tell us. We don't want to ever hear the voice of God again. And so you want to get away from his holiness. Now, David here is saying, I can't even do that. Where shall I go from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. So he's talking about the highest place. If I go to the highest place, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, Sheol was symbolic of where you bury people. So if I go into the depths of the earth, you are there. And some of you might have wondered, what this next verse means. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. Now you see, the wings of the morning are an imagery of the sun rising. So as the rays spread out that way, if I take the wings of the morning, you are in the east. And when you're in Israel, the sea is to the, to the west. So he's saying, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the opposite side, in the uttermost parts of the sea. You are there. Where shall I go from your presence? And so that God, how can God, how can God be here and in the U.S. at the same time? How can God be somewhere in Korogosho and on the moon with whoever is trying to explore the moon right now? How can God be all over at the same time? And David is saying, you are there, no matter where I go. 
this knowledge is too wonderful for me. Now, finally, he turns inward. He's looked at the transcendence of God, the omniscience of God, and then he turns his eyes towards his own body. And he says in verse 13, For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. What does that mean? Is that when he, and this is someone who didn't have a telescope, who never studied biology. And yet, he looks at the way the human body works, and he says, you formed me in my inward parts. I am wonderfully and fearfully made. It is not that I am wonderfully, and then you just kind of ignore what fearfully could possibly mean. No, it's saying that when you look at the human body, you ought to be full of fear and full of wonder. That's what it means, that I'm wonderfully and fearfully made. Now, how can you who has an education, how can you, who knows what the nervous system is, not fear God, pun intended? How can you, who knows how the heart pumps, how the brain works, how the eye translates rays of light into an image in the mind, how can you know how the human body is built? You have way more tools than David ever had. And yet his reaction to God was, I am wonderfully and fearfully made. Wonderful are your works. Now you see where he ends all of this in referring to how magnificent God is is in verse 17. It's the only fitting reaction when you see how amazing God is in his transcendence and you see how perfect and meticulous he is in putting together you, he literally is keeping your heart beating. Now think of it this way, that even on Koinange Street right now, God is there. That even when you're on your phone alone at night, he is there seeing exactly what you're doing. That even when mommy is not home and you go into the kitchen and go into the fridge and, and take something out and then shift things again so it seems like the rice has not been eaten, God is there. He is there. How amazing, how amazing is that God? How worthy of worship that he makes the sun shine on the good and the evil. What kind of God? You, even the people that love you, the people that you don't hate, when they don't act the way you want, you pull back your love. How can God make the sun shine on the good and the evil? What level of perfection? What level of mastery over himself? What level of control over the entire universe that he orchestrated the death of his son so you could be saved? How amazing is that God? When you think of all of those things, your only reaction can be what David says. How precious, how precious are your thoughts to me, O God? How precious are your thoughts to me, O God? 
to think that that God, that that God who would be perfect if he never said anything to me, that he has expressed his thoughts to me in his word. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. What else would you want in this life except to know that God? How can it be that your life does not reflect the fear of that God? It's unthinkable. And you may come to church no matter how many times. You may sing to God no matter with how amazing of a voice. You may live a life where you don't take drugs and you don't drink alcohol and you don't sleep around with people. But then if your heart does not love and fear that God, can you imagine what it will be like when he pulls back his love? You know, people say, oh, hell is hell, uh, God is not there. No, hell is hell because God is there. Hell is hell because in hell, God expresses his wrath against everything that's the opposite of him. When he says, do not lie, it's not because he's just putting, you know, things for you to jump over in order to earn his approval. It's because he is the spirit of truth. When he says don't hate your brother, it's because God is love. When he says don't steal, it's because the earth is the, and the fullness thereof belongs to him. The earth is the Lord's. It's that everything that he has commanded us in scripture is not just something that we are supposed to do because he said it, but it's because it's a reflection of who he is. And we all fall short. We all fall short. We can't just ride our way into heaven. We can't just church plant. We can't just share the gospel. In fact, Paul says, knowing the fear of God, we plead with men. We all fall short. And this is why at the end of Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, all is said, Let's hear the end of the matter. Not love God, but fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God. For the young men who are here, please remain single for as long as is necessary until you find a woman who fears, not loves God. We can all easily love God. Especially in the way we've been taught what love is like. It's just fuzzy feelings and, you know, saying you're sorry after you've messed up. No. What Proverbs 31 says is charm is fleeting. Beauty is deceitful. Beauty is fleeting, charm is deceitful. But a woman, a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And so what I want to end with is this. That when you hear Solomon saying, this is the end of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. You have to realize one thing. That even though we have been taught not to fear, and yes, there is a sense in which we no longer fear. And when you read the book of 1 John, it will tell you that perfect love casts out fear. 
But when just go home, read First John very carefully, read chapter 4 very carefully. When it talks about perfect love casting out fear, it's not talking about the perfect love of God. It's talking about love being perfected in us. And that will never happen until Christ gives us our glorified bodies. And so the reality is that if you know God in his word, if you know who he is, if you know his holiness, you know his power, your knowledge of him as it increases will also equally increase your fear for him and it will increase your love for him until such a point when your love will be perfected and love will be the fulfillment of the law. What, 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 um, what Solomon is saying, that fear God and keep his commandments, Romans tells us love is the fulfillment of the law. But our love is not perfected until Christ comes back. And so if you want to grow in your knowledge of God, Find his thoughts towards you to be precious. Expose yourself to God's word. Really press in and learn from him. Know him. And when you do that, when you do that, the fear of God will be upon you. Even Romans chapter 3, when it's talking about how all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, it says at the end that they do not know the way of peace is not with them and the fear of God is not before their eyes. This is not contrary to what Jesus taught. This is the result of what God taught. The fear of God, if it dwells in this place, you will be amazed at how marriages will change. You'll be amazed at how people will come in here and say there's something different because we don't take for granted as if it's just daddy, as if it's just boys, as if it's just... Jesus is my boyfriend. No, you, you, you worship in his presence. You love him, but you fear him. And that's my prayer for this church, that as you celebrate your second anniversary and as you continue to press to know God, that the love of God would be seen in your midst, but together and in private, the fear of God would be present. Lord, I commit this church to you. Oh God, how precious are your thoughts to us, oh God. You have said in your word in Isaiah 66 that heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What is it that you can build for me? There's nothing there's nothing you can give to me. And yet to whom will I look? To he who trembles at my word. To him who trembles at my word. Oh Lord, I pray that your spirit and the fear of God would be upon every heart in this place. Oh Lord, I pray that as Zanda and his family and those who support him and preach in this place, that as they preach, that the fear of God would cause them to plead with men. How I pray that you would multiply this church. How I pray that you would help them to grow. 
how I pray that this church will plant a hundred other churches. And yet it is nothing if the fear of God is not ultimate in our hearts. Lord, unless you peel back the blindness from our eyes, we will have no clue that the Lion of Judah stands in front of us and we are not prepared to face him unless the blood of Christ covers us and unless our lives reflect that we've been made into the doers of the will of God. How unfortunate it will be for those in the last day who will say, but Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We worked miracles in your name. And you don't deny that they did all of those things. You simply said, I never knew you. Because if I knew you, then my love and my perfection would be manifest in your fear for me because I am God. Oh Lord, we are undeserving of the manifestation of your truth. How precious are your thoughts towards us, O oh God. May you cause this to be true. May you cause this to be true. Lord, we love you. We repent of our sins. And we ask that no matter what, please don't let us go until we, until we have known the fear of you. Until your spirit has not just given us that fear, but has comforted us as well. Oh, what a holy tension. What a holy tension that is to be under the utter fear of the perfect God and yet to be comforted by his spirit by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Lord, I plead, I plead that this church would not just be another church, but that your presence and your fear would be here. Now, and until Christ comes back. For it's in Jesus' name we pray and believe.